Thank you for listening to this episode of Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher, and Liberation presents Gerard Cherry. Gerard, a three-time Super Bowl champion of the New England Patriots and current radio host on ESPN Cleveland, joins me to talk of his upbringing, faith, and the political racial landscape of America. Please enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a, another tremendous episode of Liberation coming for you. Uh, this episode, I have a gentleman that played eight years in the NFL. Uh, he was a second-round pick in the 1996 draft from uh, the University of Cal. Uh, he has a playing history, which includes stints with the Saints, the Raiders, the Eagles, and the Patriots, where he became a three-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, today I have with me Gerard Cherry. Gerard, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, LaCroix. But, man, you can't rob me one year off my pension, dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nine years. I... <laughs> Look, I got to report that to Goodell. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, please don't. That'll be crucial in a few years. <laughs> uh, but I'm doing well, man. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. You're a huge grab, if you will. Um, you're big time here in the city of Cleveland. I prefer a minor Cleveland celebrity. <laughs> um, I want you to be able to express yourself as a intelligent human being, African American human being, everyone mm -hmm. knows you as an athlete, but I want to go a completely different direction with this interview. Cause I want you to be able to explain yourself. Also, um, towards the end of the interview, we can speak on things like the hunger network and mm -hmm. autism speaks. Cause I know you got mm -hmm. some uh, things going on with that. Right. Um, so again, we want to get into the intellectual side of the man. So tell me about uh, you having a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and Master's in Education. And I think that's quite impressive, and especially being in college, because I had buddies that played in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I know how they can skate them by in college. So you were also a two-time uh, Pac-10 All-Academic. These are huge accomplishments. So, could you speak on that a little bit? What, what, uh, what was your driving motivations? Well, when I got to college, I initially wanted to be a lawyer. That was my plan. I was going to go to law school, so political science, and I always had an interest in government and history, and that's just been that way since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just had a great interest in social studies and in history, so I excelled in those things. So it was just easy for me to pay attention to those things and just understand how things broke down from a historical perspective. Mm. And it just resonated with me as a child. It's like one of those things where certain things just stick with you. You get it, you understand it and you really don't have to think about it. You just get it. It's like some people are mechanical. Some people have the ability to draw and they just have that ability to do it. And it's God given. And my ability to analyze political and historical content was that way as well so that was that's what led to the whole piece of political science and the idea to the want to be a lawyer now in hindsight i probably should went ahead and pursued that law career and went down that path but the funny thing is i was taking a political science class on on the judicial review 
Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, if this is what law is, I won't know parts of it. And it was such a short-sighted thought. And But at the same time, I was wrapped up deep in getting ready for a professional football career, training for the combine and all that type of stuff and looking at that next stage of my career. But at the same time, I had graduated early and I was a red shirt. So I applied to graduate school and got in and had the University of California Berkeley pay for it as well. So that was the plan going into college to get as many years of them paying for your education as you could. Mm. And, I, and I was able to accomplish that. But in the process, though, I was very blessed to go to the school I went to because the University of California is probably the epicenter of liberal thought. Mm. <laughs> and so growing up in Berkeley, California as well, I was exposed to that. I mean, I went to a school in the 80s called Malcolm X. That was well ahead of its time. Think about that. Wow. And Martin Luther King Boulevard, streets being named after civil rights leaders at that time, was that was in the 80s Yeah. in, in that in the Bay Area. So coming from the Bay Area, I got a perspective of liberal thought and what that represented and what that was all about. And I know you had said that you'd like to talk about some other elements of my character and where I form my opinions. Mm-hmm. So it's funny, man, because when... I'm, I'm, I'm and forgive me if I'm all over the place, but one of the things that really resonates with me is when I went to New Orleans to play for the Saints, and it was a blessing to go down there and play. But I hated living there, and not because New Orleans has bad people per se. It's mm-hmm. just the culture there was such a shock to me. Because imagine coming from Berkeley, California, where you have roads named after Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. a school named after Malcolm X, and you get to the South, and there's Jefferson Davis Highway. Mm-hmm. There's Robert E. Lee this, mm-hmm. Robert E. Lee that, and just the Confederate flag flying everywhere. And it just, I mean, I would hate to drive to work because every day I have to take Jefferson Airline Highway to get to the Saints facility. And so I saw that. So now we have a situation in our country where the Confederate monuments are coming down and streets are being renamed. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping for that and wishing for that in the 90s. And geez, what some almost 25, 30 years later, it's finally taking place. And so that was part of my experience of just really having a real liberal viewpoint on a lot of things. But as I got more and more, I would say, informed from my faith standpoint, I became more conservative in my thought and really was more of a not a reflection of, because a lot of times you'll hear, well, he went to the league, he becomes a Republican because he's concerned about his money and right. protecting his money. That's that's typical of the stereotype that you get. Mm-hmm. And that was not the case for me, though. It was more so about, I felt I made a shift from being liberal to more conservative based on my faith. Right. And that my sense of Christianity became greater in my identity. And I'm like, okay, Though I'm not going to hate on people and try not to judge people, this is what I believe my faith is saying in regards to issues regarding abortion, issues regarding marriage, mm-hmm. and things of that nature, and reflecting that. So on some levels, but here's a, here's the thing though, Lacroix. I think I fall in the middle though on some things, like far as terrible issues and giving and taking care of people. 
on one hand, I believe that's the church's role and responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also understand, too, that we live in a society in the world where things aren't fair and that racism is very real in our country right. and that you do have to create certain measures to make sure that people do get some sense of equity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't you can try to legislate equality and create an atmosphere for it. But I can also say that on some situations, it can be unfair on both sides. And this is going back to the sports realm in that I always found it interesting, like my teammates that are white that happen to play running back receiver or defensive back, mm-hmm. <laughs> they would experience a, a form of prejudice. I won't call it racism because it wasn't, it was prejudice though. Right, right, right. And and that's because why the stereotype was that you couldn't have and if it was a and if it was a white receiver, what was he supposed to be a possession receiver? <laughs> right. right? It's facts. He couldn't be a speed burner. And I'll never I love to tell this story. You probably heard me tell it before. I was in college and my secondary coach, who's passed away, God rest his soul, was a good man. His name was Mike Brass, and he did a lot to help me. But I'll never forget. Mike was like, Yeah, we got this receiver we playing this week. Now, he didn't know that this receiver was a 200-meter champion mm. for the Pac-12. It was, was not back then the Pac-10. Mm-hmm. So anytime you say track in the, in the Pac-12, that's some serious track. Right. I mean, it's, yeah, it's some serious track. I mean, and back in the day, it was it was rivaled the SEC far as the fastest runners in the, in the country, and it's sometimes the world. Uh-huh. So this guy, his name escapes me, was a 200-meter champion. Now, that's long speed, but that's still speed, right? Right, right. So he had one of my teammates um, playing him basically sitting on his routes. Don't you know this dude had like a career day of receiver? <laughs> Ran by him left and right and was white as you could be. And that right there <laughs> just signaled to me just this idea. Now, Grant, that's, I won't say that's an anomaly, so to speak, but it just showed the idea that you can't judge a book on its cover right. and get away from that thought. Now, also, too, another thing that really was a fork in the road moment for me was I ran track as a kid. I ran in high school and I ran in college. And when I got drafted, I was looking at cars and I was going to do typically what athletes do, go buy a European sports sedan. And I was going to go buy a, a BMW. And there was a guy who I knew from my, from my days running track. He was black. And I knew him from my, I mean, I had a 20 year relationship with this guy and it was, you know, his daughter was my age. And so I go to the dealership, look at the cars and I wasn't going to get like the seven series. I was going to, you know, break it in with the three series, mm-hmm. second round draft pick. I mean, some decent money, but I wasn't going to go all out. In my right, vehicle. Right. I had some sense. And so my man tried to charge me 20 to $25,000 more for the vehicle and he was like I'm going to take care of you brother I'm going to take care of you mm. and thankfully enough I didn't purchase the car but it taught me something else just because someone tells you that they're your brother mm. and they're black don't mean they have your best interest at heart Facts. and that was a learning experience and it was a hurtful one because I knew this guy for a long time wow. and so throughout the course of my life LaCroix I've had situations where I've had white people do me extremely well and wrong because I could tell you about 
from a standpoint of feeling I got unfair treatment with the New Orleans Saints and my experience with Mike Dicker mm-hmm. and what that was all about right. and the bitterness that I'm still letting go. <laughs> 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 from that situation. But I can also tell you of situations when I was in financial hardship and friends that were white and black would give me this turn off their back. Wow. And help me out and do for me. I had a professor at Cal, his name was Herb Simon. He let me, he one, helped me get into graduate school. He two, when I came back to Oakland to play and I was looking for a place to stay, he let me stay at his home, open his home up to me. And it was just, and I got another friend, his name was Jordan, when I was, and I grew up impoverished. I grew up on welfare in California and it's funny, I always tell this story that when I moved in from Cal- from North Carolina to California, I didn't know I was poor until I moved to California. Hmm. So I was on welfare, food stamps, and all that type of stuff, and it bothered me. It bothered me to be on welfare. I mean, back then, you got teased for it. Right. But the thing is, here's the part I don't get, LaCroix, is from a cultural standpoint, why did it shift to... I'm coming up, I'm getting over and acceptance of it. Right, right, right. And I think that happened somewhere in the 90s or 2000s where it was like, no, I'm coming up, I'm getting over, oh. as opposed to being ashamed of it. Now, granted, some will tell you now that, well, you shouldn't have been ashamed that you were poor or anything like that. And I get the psychological stuff that goes along with that. But that was just my mindset. Mm-hmm. I hate it when my mom would pull out food stamps. Right. I hate it. But now it's like if you pull out a, and I don't shame anyone that pulls out an EBT card or anything like that. I think that's what they're called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I know the more has done to normalize it and to make it be acceptable and accepting. But at the same time, I think we both agree that when you are dependent on any, anything, it creates a problem. Mm-hmm. We've we've become. But there are those in that situation that have become comfortable and have settled right. in that situation. And there, wa- there was once upon a time it was not okay to settle for less. Right. Now it's, it's become an acceptable thing. And it has one of the few things within our culture that has set us back, this, this comfort level of, well, yeah, I'm okay with X, Y, and Z instead of uh, striving to be better. I just had a, t- a talk with my 11-year-old about, you know, he had a passing score. I said, well, if you got that, strive to get a 90. And mm-hmm. take that 90 to 100. Don't settle for less, settle for greatness. Basically, keep pushing the envelope as far as you can. Don't be okay with, okay, I passed push for greatness right yeah and i and i feel that from a culture standpoint what we have allowed to do with that mentality running amok in our community along with just i mean i mean look it's funny i say this because i'm in the entertainment industry and i've been in athletics and that's generally what we gear towards Mm -hmm. and that wasn't always the case because i could remember situations where my parents would talk about, and granted, they didn't take advantage of their academic opportunities, but I would hear stories from people like, 
we were in a school. Happy fact you got a chance to go to school. And that's not the mentality no more. Mentality is school doesn't matter who can be YouTube or who can be social media famous, mm-hmm. who can be the next athlete and things like that. When it truly is, if you concentrate on your academics and if we made it in our culture much more of a pat on the back, applauding, praising that 90%, that 90% that you just talked about as opposed to how many points did you score? And I'm guilty of it too. I mean, the passion I show at my son's basketball game as opposed to his report card, though I am on him about his report card, but I have to check myself too and be honest that I need to put more passion in that. Mm-hmm. Just like, where are you putting your priorities there? Are we individually and as a culture? Because I do believe there's opportunity in this country. There's great opportunity in this country. Like Nigerians come here and they're killing it right. because they're doing what? They're taking advantage of the academic institutions. And I always said, if you you got to force America to be what America stands for. And what I mean by that is, as a culture, if we are doing like Asian Americans are doing and excelling in various academic fields, and not just in the social studies and and with all due respect to teachers, but, but in the sciences, in the things that engineering and things of that nature, which we're capable of doing, mm-hmm. is just being exposed to it, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't be this underclass and have these issues, but that's a cultural change. But unfortunately, it's, it's so pervasive because we literally exp- influence the world with our culture right. here in America. African-American culture influences the world, influences dress, it influences music, and, and and all that is a sense of style. But at the same time, I mean, there are some who are now benefiting from it because of social media, because that's broken down certain walls in which people can't control it. But again, think about it. You're not, you don't, um, I don't own Facebook. <laughs> you don't own Facebook. Um, I don't own TikTok. I don't know on Twitter. <laughs> right. And and, and, and and I think the people and a lot of people that work within those environments don't look like us or share our probably our cultural cultural heritage. I could be wrong about that, but I think I'm right. I, I'm I'll, I'll bet the house on it. Yeah. And you know, it's it's funny you mentioned um where we invest our passion in this uh like in the Bible, it talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right. Um, and whether it's black or white, we've invested too much time in things that don't even matter or don't have any uh, fortitude. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have any substance. Uh, it doesn't have uh, any redeeming value. You know, it's it's all these things. It's get it fast. But on the, on the same sense, it's here today, gone tomorrow. For instance, you know, it's unavoidable with Instagram. You got all these, you know, these women scantily mm-hmm. clad. Mm-hmm. And sure, they're making their bag right now, showing off all the goodies. But what is that going to be in 30 years from now? And you, uh, to me at least, you're selling a part of your own soul away to achieve something that 
may not have any substance because like like you even indicated you know when you get that bag in such a uh huge amount if you will the first thing you do is you want to go spend it looking better than the next person right so it's almost great technology has found a way for us to be able to make money but then you put that money in into places where it doesn't need to be mm-hmm. and you found this invention it's making you money but then it may not even last you 10 years because right. you're spending it on the next bins you're spending it on the hottest house right um the latest clothes you mm-hmm. name it right and and, I, and I, for me i'm i'm guilty of that and well, we all I, are. and i'm like okay how do i check myself on it and try to because ultimately it boils down to what self glorification. Right. That's that's the issue, and that's what I deal with pride. I mean, I got a major issue with pride, mm. and and with that, I mean, what does God hate? God hates pride. You want to piss God off? Be pride. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's one of them. Yes, and it says that in the Bible that mm. I mean. One of the things he can't stand is pride, and I've and I've and I've said to myself, I've had very humble beginnings, and I've gotten to a state on some on some levels where I can be just too prideful about certain things. Like, where do I live? What am I driving? What is my appearance? Mm. And with this need to reflect success and a need to feel like I'm. I'm valued, and that's where you miss it because ultimately, and you hit it on the head, I believe. I think we're saying the same things. I know in my heart of hearts, LaCroix, that my value needs to be found in Christ mm. and that my value needs to be found in what God thinks of me and feels of me because that can't be taken away, and that's the greatest thing. But there's this fight in which what this world is offering, what this world is suggesting, and what this world is saying you can be that is appealing mm-hmm. when like you said ultimately you know it won't fulfill you and i've had too many experiences to know it won't fulfill me but why do i keep going back to the trough mm-hmm. why do i keep going back for more helpings of it when i know ultimately it doesn't fulfill mm-hmm. and that's the part i don't get about me but but you know what and i'll paraphrase it's just like paul saying in romans you're doing what you know you ought not to do <laughs> It's right. This, it's this. Is I see what I should do, but it's this wicked side of me that's just going to keep doing what I ought not to do. Right. And it's and it's always a chess game within yourself, this wrestling match, and that's where it talks about an everyday challenge of putting the flesh to death. Right. And that's what it is: spirit versus the flesh. Mm-hmm. And some days the spirit, and some mornings the flesh is winning, and the spirit. Is winning, and obviously you want to be spirit, 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 and a minimal amount of flesh, flesh, flesh. Mm-hmm. That's and and the, and the crazy part about it is when I'm operating in the spirit and pleasing the spirit, I feel so much better. <laughs> but as soon as I fall off and let the flesh and how I respond to someone or how I interact with someone, and then I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. When it, but you said, I mean, Paul stated it succinctly and perfectly in the Bible. What I ought not do, I do. And 
that thorn in the side and all, oh, and all, all that, that stuff. stuff that goes along with it, man. So, like, like I just I had a conversation with my wife, uh huh, a week or two ago. She told me not to do something. I said, "All right, babe, I won't do it." And what did I do two weeks later? <laughs> <laughs> And she gave me an earful of it, and I had it mm-hmm. coming. Mm-hmm. Because because pride, like okay, I I thought, and, and what I did, I thought it would be beneficial to us. And it's just one of them things where okay, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but this could be helpful. I'm gonna do it anyway, just just because I'm me. Right. <laughs> she had to give me the business. Yeah, well, at least you got somebody in your life holding you accountable. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> um, So, all right, let's dial back to some of childhood. and our... East Coast to West Coast, how in the world did you get from North Carolina to Oakland? <laughs> <laughs> That's a heck of a question, right? All right, well, the long story that I'll make short is that my mother, my stepfather and my mother, when I was about three or four, they had broke up. And he had some drama going on in Charlotte, North Carolina, which ran him up out of town. Mm. <laughs> and if you got to go all the way to the West Coast, you must have had some serious right, right, right. drama going on, right? <laughs> yeah. So he basically runs out of town because people are after him. And I don't know how they corresponded, but they decided to get back together again. And so she makes a decision that she's going to move to California. Now, I didn't want to move to California at all. But God, God is amazing how he orchestrates things, though. Because, I mean, in North Carolina, I mean, I went to church as a kid there. I mean, I was just a bad kid, always in trouble. But my, I mean, my family family's in, in North Carolina. I mean, I got cousins for days and months and years and all that type of stuff. I mean, I thousands of cousins in North Carolina. So that was my support system. Now, in California, I was moving to a situation where I had people who treated me like family, but they were a small circle, and they didn't know me. And all they knew was that this is nappy-headed boy, seven-year-old <laughs> from North Carolina, who's come out here with his younger brother and his mom to get back with his stepfather. So when I got to California, I lived with my aunt. Though she was like a grandmother to me, we lived with her, and her name was Geraldine Cumby. Now, she had a major impact on my life in that, like I told you, I just stated, I would go to church on a regular basis living in North Carolina. That was part of the culture there. You go to church. Mm-hmm. Used to be part of the culture <laughs> uh, in the South. And so I would go to church on a regular basis, but it was just part of, this is just what you did. Now, she was a Bible thumper. Like, she was the type of person who would literally hit you in the head of the Bible if she felt you did something wrong. I mean, she was so hardcore. My parents got me a pool table for a, for Christmas gift, a little one, like a little men's or fake one. Yeah. I played with that thing maybe two times. <laughs> and the only reason I only played with it two times was because she considered that a form of gambling, and that was sinful. So she was on that. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, it became more, I would like to say, complex in that I realize it's more about relationship, it's more about sacrifice and obedience, which I still struggle with. Mm. But I became more real that your identity, how you identify yourself and how you see yourself has to align with it. Mm. Hence, I became more conservative in my thought and in my views politically and socially, right. so to speak. But when I say that, though, I know people maybe jump back. I'm not the type of person where I'm going to hate on you if you 
have a sexual orientation that doesn't uh, align with the Bible. I have people who I'm friends with that are gay. Right. And I'm not going to hate on you if you had an abortion or, or not talk to you. Mm -hmm. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I recognize that and see that. So when I say that, I don't mean I'm one of the types who are like stand up and telling you you're going to go to hell through that. Because if you look at my track record, I've been divorced twice. Is that grounds to go to hell because of my inability to be in a marriage and stay in one? Mm -hmm. Or my inability from a standpoint of sex before marriage, not being able to honor that? Does that get me? Because if that's the case, I'm on my way to hell because it says in the Bible about fornication and what that represents. Mm -hmm. So I try to come from it from that standpoint. But at the same time, as I'm getting older and I think and hopefully more <laughs> wiser and more obedient in my faith, that I'm surrendering that and dying to that mm -hmm. and really living for God. But I'd be lying to you if I told you I'd do that on a daily basis and consistently because I do have my struggles. Right. Understood that. Um, so I caught a glimpse of um, one of your Hunger Network videos, and you had already spoke to being on welfare earlier. Mm -hmm. um, how speak to those years of struggling in uh, California, and um, how did that shape you personally? Well, there was a point. So I move out to California and my mother decides that she doesn't no longer want to be with my stepfather. So she moves back to North Carolina. Mm. She asked myself and my younger brother if we want to go back with her. And we were like, nah, we're not going back. And at this time, I'm playing football. I'm having success. And I'm in the eighth, seventh, eighth grade. Mm. And football is like my identity. That's, I mean, I go to church on a regular basis, but football is my deal. I mean, and LaCroix, it was, I had it so bad. I mean, some kids have it worse, but imagine having one pair of shoes. You have holes in the bottom of the soles because you play a recess on them at lunch. And I had to put cardboard in the shoes because it was tearing up my socks because we couldn't afford to get a new pair of shoes because that's how poor we were. And so we had many of nights where I tell my girlfriend this all the time of, I, I love potatoes. You would think I hate potatoes. And I always joke I must be part Irish because every chance I get to eat a potato, I'm eating it. And I literally lived off of potatoes and pancakes for like a good three years where that's like it was cheap and it was filling. Right. And, be, and that's all we could afford. Mm -hmm. And hamburger helper of some sort. <laughs> And the sick part about it is I still crave those things to this day, man. And I ate more than my fair share of it. <laughs> I'll see a box of hamburger helper and giant eagle or Mark Heiners, and I'll be like, man, that looks real. It's going down. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but just no one likes to have food insecurity, man. No one wants like to Go out to lunch with your friends know that you have no money to buy anything, that you just have to watch the meat. Mm. Or no one was like to just go to bed and only way you can fill your stomach up is with water. Mm. Or look in the cabinet all you see is crackers and peanut butter and jelly and no bread. Or making a gallon of milk stretch for two to three weeks in which I finally have broken it to where I don't pour that much milk in my bowl for cereal. Because <laughs> it was just years of realizing 
I can't, this milk has to stretch. I can't go, or this juice has to last for two or three weeks until the next check came on the first or the 15th. Right, right, right. And living that existence. And so there are people, man, who didn't ask for the situations that they're in and just need help. And that's one of the reasons why I work with the Acker Canton Food Bank, why I work with the Hunger Network, because I know there are kids in that situation. I also know there's some adults who simply made a poor decision and are having a hard time finding work because of that poor decision or just in a spot where things aren't working out right now and they just need a helping hand, but they're not trying to stay there. And if they are trying to stay there, I feel sometimes it's not even my, it's not even my job to judge it. Because sometimes I'll be walking down the street and God be like, give that person money. <laughs> or something in my head will say that I'll say as a spirit, give that person money and I'll, and I'll, and I'll give it to them. Mm-hmm. And now do, are they going to go use it to buy drugs? Or are they going to go use it to buy a pack of cigarettes? I don't know. But I, if I felt moved to give it, I give it. That's good. That's good. Um, so at what point did you uh, overcome some of these setbacks? I've overcome them, but at the same time, they still pull you back to be honest with you in that, well, as far let me, well, let's speak to the poverty part. Let's speak to that. Oh, poverty part. Yeah. <laughs> you ask me, I still feel like I am. <laughs> okay. I, I've, I've, I'm very blessed, and and what I what I do for a living, in that, I can honestly say, since I stepped foot on a college campus, I have not missed a meal, and that's over. That's going on. 30 years now mm-hmm. of having more than my daily bread. Now, I mean, when I say more than my daily bread, more than my daily bread, right. having money in a bank account, being able to pay for all my bills, being able to take care of my children, being able to take care of myself. So that's been going on since I hit college. And so that's over 30 years of having that experience. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So, all right, let's fast forward a little bit. So, you end up playing nine years in the NFL. Right. Uh, then you end up in my hometown of Cleveland. Tell the people how you ended up in Cleveland after leaving the three-time Super Bowl champs. Well, I have been coming to Cleveland, Ohio since 1996. So, been coming here since 1996. That's going on dang near 30 years, 25 years, too. And living here since 2005 and what brought me out here is that i told you i was been divorced twice so the woman that i married she was from mayfield and when i was finished playing i we had a son together and i wanted to be in his life and so it's like you know what i know this area is a great area for raising a family let me move back to ohio because i like i I like ohio it fits it fits me Mm It's enough to do, but it's not too much to do, is what, the way I describe it. And I also say that you have a sense of culture here. And on top of that, people love sports here. <laughs> I mean, it works. So it's like, and, and so you have that, you have an East Coast and a West Coast vibe, I think, that meets in the middle in Ohio. That's, I don't, that's the best way I can explain it. Mm-hmm. And that you have that sense of, you have, like, think about it, 20, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, even 30, well, 15 to 20 miles outside of Cleveland, you're in a rural setting, if you think about that, if you go east or west or mm-hmm. south. Yep. And 
So I find appeal in that. But also just I want to be in his life. So that brought me here. And I went to a church. And at this point, I just I'm – le- I'm still trying to stay in the league. This is year nine. But I get diagnosed with a ruptured Achilles tendon. And really all it was was tendonitis, mm. just really bad tendonitis. So that was like a kiss of death for my career. But at this point in my life, I am – making more of my identity in my faith as opposed to what I do. Because here's the part that's really challenging as a football player, because I can recall having anxiety attacks of like, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to play football no more. What's going to happen if nobody recognizes me? I know who I am. We're going to get to that, yeah. Those those thoughts will come into my head, man. And that's that's sad. But so many dudes deal with that, because think about it. From the time you were in elementary school and if you had the privilege of playing in the pros, some 20-some years of this being your identity mm. of getting recognition for it and getting preferential treatment for it, on top of that, all of a sudden that's going to go away. What do you do with that? Who are you? What are you? And my transition out of that world was so much smoother than most because I had a, my faith in Christianity and my identity was in Christ. And that helped me through it as opposed to like some guys who just leave it and they're like lost because that's all they have going for them. And no, that's no longer there. And it's take them. So from that, I was transitioning also into being into the brokerage business, working for Merrill Lynch, UBS, companies like that, in which I was taking advantage of the fact that I had academic career and experience in the economics and politics. Mm-hmm. And so it was a smooth transition. So I left the NFL with a job that was paying over $100,000. And that was a made the transition easier, along with my identification and my faith as a Christian. It's like you read my notes. I mean, you walked right into the next question. <laughs> uh, so how... W- I think frightened is probably a strong word. So how? No, frightened is the right word. You are frightened. You are. You're. You're alone. You don't know what you're gonna do. You don't. I mean, there are guys who are literally frightened. Like, who am I? What am I? Mm-hmm. Why does this person love me? Why does this person want to be around me? And I still deal with that actually, because I've been burned on on many occasions because it was more like, okay, you're really with me because of what I do not because of who I am. And that is a frightening thing when you don't know why people really are aligned with you, why they want to be with you. And that's been your experience for years. Mm-hmm. And you don't really know what the the real is. And you say to yourself, man, I got redeeming qualities, qualities besides playing football or talking about football. Why are you really with me, though? But what you unfortunately find is that most people are about self-interest and self-serving reasons. And you find out sometimes the hard way, but then that can put you in a situation where you're on guard and you don't let people get close because you're worried and fearful and frightened of getting hurt. I can imagine, since frightened is the word, I can imagine how frightening that is because even just recently in my own personal life with uh, a group of friends of mine, some things came up and I'm I'm looking at them like, who are these people? <laughs> these are these are people I came around me for years, and it's just like, what in the world is going on? Mm-hmm. 
And I'm sure, back to you, it's probably even more magnified because just it's just a part of the beast. You have hanger-ons. Since the NFL, you've had people in positions that naturally have to tend to your needs, whether it's physicians, trainers. So you have all these things at your beck and call. Mm-hmm. And then when that retirement day comes, it's wiped out. And then, I, like you said, okay, what's next? Who's mm-hmm. real? Who's not? What's my next move? Where's my next check coming from? Right. So um, you went into financial advising, broadcasting. What kept you out of politics? Uh, just no interest in it, man. And the funny thing about it was... Really? <laughs> I went in, well, from the falsehood standpoint of it, it was like, okay, that's false, that's fake, and in order to be this, you have to... Can you really be real and true to what you believe, or do you have to, like, to really make a difference, align yourself with some special interest? Mm-hmm. Can you really... And you can make a difference. You don't have to sell your soul to special interests. But it does appear that our... Our, our political spectrum was in a state to where, and how do I say this? I'm trying to be delicate with it and not typecast everyone because special interests should have special interests. All right. You believe in something and you don't want to see it go away. Mm-hmm. And why not fight for that? And why not vote for that? Why not align yourself with that? And so it has its role, but I just had a very negative look at politicians in general. Mm. And then all don't fit that. So that's not fair. Right. It doesn't. All don't fit that. But at the same time, we can all say that looking at our political scene as it is right now, it needs an overhaul. It needs a fixing. Oh, my- absolutely. <laughs> and so, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, and obviously we're coming off what just took place. <sighs> In D.C., where that was like something I never thought I would ever see. But then again, I can't say that because I can recall commenting that when President Trump was going through the political presidential debates with now President-elect Biden, he pretty much said something to the effect that he would not go away peacefully mm-hmm. and that he'd be, have to be forced out. So I'm not surprised by that. But at the same time, I'm like, look at the state we're in, man, where... And that's the thing, too. It's funny you said that because I now am getting more involved to where my mentality is and my mindset is, is that I want to make change and help heal our country. Mm-hmm. Because my experience has shown me that it doesn't matter that you're white or black. You can do someone right. You can do someone wrong or brown or yellow. It's really what your character is about. Mm-hmm. And granted, I can appreciate other cultures because I've been immersed in other cultures from the Latin culture, from the black culture, from the white culture. To Asian culture, I've experienced a lot. Mm-hmm. And I can see beauty in the different ones. And I don't have to have necessarily say, and I love what black culture represents or African-American culture represents. Mm-hmm. I don't have to tell you, that I don't have to perform an elitist opinion saying that mine is greater than yours because I have appreciation for the various things. So I think God's role for me moving forward will be one to help unify, to help heal, to help create common understanding that we share a lot of similarities but yes there's nothing wrong with your cultural differences either right right it has to make one better than the other it's just different ways of doing things and appreciating things and being accepting to that so i think that's going to be my role in the future and heck what i do right now with 
with my partner Emmett on the radio. I mean, you listen to our show. It's inviting everyone to come in there. But you're going to definitely get a feel that, hey, these are two brothers. <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> they can relate to someone that's in the rural part of our Northeast Ohio or someone that's in, this, in an urban area or in a mm-hmm. suburb. And I hope that's the feeling sense that you get, that it's inviting, that we're here to share our perspective. Yeah. We have to deal with issues that we're coming up from from a standpoint of we wish everybody well and want to see everyone succeed and have opportunity. Right. That's where I stand. I want to see everyone have opportunity. I don't want to create a situation where just my people have privilege and then my people have just the opportunity to to elevate and move, but everyone has an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And chance. So that's where I stand, man. That's where I'm that's where I come from. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna speed along. Uh so you're I know you to be a political uh politically conservative. Um what kind of backlash do you typically take uh being a high profile person from a um African American community? Uh well heck, oh this past some are a tremendous amount. I mean, I have people who don't have any clue about who I am, where I'm from, and what I represent. Call me Uncle Tom's and call me a sellout. Mm. I'm like, I'm pretty sure now that this comparison that I've gone to more prisons and have done more things that would not qualify me as that than you have. But because it's a political hot button right now and that everyone's in this state of hate and pointing fingers. And just because if I take a point that where I'm not saying... If I say all lives matter, and if I take that perspective, then all of a sudden that makes me a sellout. Mm. And when I do get the point of why you would make the comment that black lives matter, but I would also say, too, that's a short paradigm. Mm-hmm. You can't allow just what a white person does to a black person to find our culture. Because mm-hmm. if you ask me, having grown up in the hood, I saw But here's where it gets, I want to say, deep because... Uh, intellectual will tell you, well, if you don't have people at the top creating these scenarios, then you wouldn't have this black-on-black crime. And there is some truth to that, but that's not the complete truth because it still comes down to an individual decision. Mm. No one enforced my childhood friend to sell crack, but the parameters were the social parameters in place to why I could get why he was because of Reaganomics and what that represents. Because right. I grew up in Oakland when crack hit the scene. You couldn't talk about worst place on earth to be. Mm-hmm. When crack cocaine hit, cocaine hit. So I lived that. I experienced that. And I know that it still came down to an individual decision to whether or not you're going to play sports, take care of your business school, or if you're going to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of friends who decided to sell drugs. And I have a lot of friends who are now dead or in jail because that's the path they took. Mm-hmm. When they could have went the route of staying in school, but not. I got my troop. This is, I'm really dating myself here. I got my troop jacket on. I got my gazelles. <laughs> and I got talk about it and i got these girls giving me love uh-huh. not really love but giving me attention right and because of what i'm doing with this selling these drugs so that's mm-hmm. I, I want my temporary i want my quick fix high mm-hmm. and, and so seeing those but back to what i'm trying to convey here and it's tricky because you don't want to i'm i'm beyond sympathetic i've lived it I've lived the impoverished life. Mm-hmm. I've I've had situations where because of being black, I got mistreated. So I know what that's like. Being a professional athlete does give you privilege 
and being a minor Cleveland celebrity, if you want to call that, does give you some opportunities and access to certain things. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've, I've experienced that, but I also know what it's like to not get those experiences. Mm-hmm. And I don't, so it's not like I'm sitting here saying, well, it's, let me make it about me. Because there are situations where people do go to conservative route because they're political opportunists. That's real. That's fact. I'm not one of those people, though. All this dude's sucking up to the powers that be so he can come up off of it. That's not me. My deal is what can we all do to help everyone have an opportunity and chance? And granted, equity, equality, they're different, they they're different things. And we need to create a society where it is equity. Because I mean, I was one of the people who verbalized it too. How do you have someone walk through the national monuments and through our legal proceedings with the Confederate flag and not be tackled, not be, and, and it's going to sound, I shouldn't say shot, but that's treacherous. It, with it, that it, but you know what? It is what it is. Right. It's, it's, it's borderline treason. So that it demands, it was treason. It, it demands being shot right. on sight. Right. But he did. He walked around and nothing happened to him yet. And I'm not saying from a standpoint of legally something I got to imagine will happen to him. Mm-hmm. And so you see that. And then you have the Black Lives Matter protesting and you have cops in full garb and all that type of stuff. Right. And you're like, OK, how does that work? How do but I know how that works. Mm-hmm. And that is, and that is the problem. And, and you know what, Gerard? It's it's I know you've spoken to it because law at times law enforcement has to do what they have to do. Right. Um, but a lot of these acts are so egregious. Like to me, I still can't wrap my head around Tamir Rice. Mm-hmm. Granted, the gun looked real. Right. But it's clear this is a little boy. Right. And they pull right up on him. Didn't say, from the looks of it, didn't say freeze. Didn't give him opportunity to drop the gun, do whatever. I mean, right. it was just hop out, shoot on sight. Right. How do you feel, forget political lines for just a second, how do you feel to see America's hypocrisy on display at the Capitol like that? Right. It was disgusting. And it's a, and again, that's the problem. That's why our country is having the issues it's having because of the hypocrisy in it. And you're right with the Tamir Rice situation. If Tamir Rice was Tommy Rice mm. and happened to be white, is he getting shot? Mm-hmm. We can, unfortunately, we can speculate and say he's not. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I mean, like it means that there's a there's a there's a distinct difference into how two are approached. One is seen as a, and Joe Biden said this. One is seen as a super predator, and one is mm-hmm. seen as. Okay, well, that's just a kid playing around. Mm-hmm. That's where our country has to change and realize that. And if anything, what was put on display, you saw you saw the vulgarity of people who happen to be white for the most part in these cap in the capital doing what they were doing. So it shows you it's not just black people doing something with this stereotype that we're the ones who are uncivil and mm-hmm. are a threat to American society. And, and and you know and wow you're taking me to a path I didn't even have written questions for, um. And and two things that stood out to me as as very problematic throughout, especially the last two to three years, as far as a religious community, mm-hmm. are brothers from a different skin tone, if you will. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the evangelicals of the world do not see the problem in it. Mm-hmm. Or even if they have a different opinion, their lack of compassion, that was problematic. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, what really angered me, and especially at the Capitol, you have those, like, you forget about the Confederate flag, but then they're hanging Jesus, Jesus flag. I'm like, why are you putting Jesus with this? And, G- and G- this is something Jesus wouldn't stand for. Right. Even if he didn't agree with your views, hence, when they were getting ready to take Jesus to be uh, eventually uh, crucified. crucified. Right. Peter chopping off the ears. Right. When Jason Voorhees on people, and he's mm-hmm. like, and I, I'm paraphrasing, I'm just playing right. around with the scriptures, but he's like, Peter, you got to relax. Right. <laughs> Put the ear back on and said, hey, if I wanted to get out this situation, I got angels that'll get me up out of here. Right. You fall back. Right. And if I want to anoint me as king of Israel, I went along with the crowd when they tried to do that, what, some three days ago. Bingo. And obviously he wasn't with that. And that that really, but see, you know what, though, the court, now we're going to get into a whole idea of spiritual warfare. Because the enemy is real. And, and you know what I'm talking about when I'm in this Christianese terms of spiritual warfare. And all that did was that Jesus picture there. It's pushing people away. It's pushing people away, but also shows you that the devil understands the threat, obviously, of Jesus and what it represents. Mm-hmm. Because if you link it with that, that's going to give people more of a reason to say, oh, that church and that faith is a joke. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, uh, and the fact that evangelical white Christians, for the most part, align themselves with Trump for political expediency, just like he did, mm-hmm. created the same issue and problem. Because I got, I got great friends who are white and Republican. And voted for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I know they're not racist. And I know their rationale for why they voted for him. Because in their mind that adheres more to their conservative stance or their stance or views of as opposed to the Democratic agenda. Mm-hmm. So I, I get that part of it. But that's, again, where we're at in our country <laughs> is like, where do you choose? Because if you go to the black church, you're going to see alignment with the democratic party mm-hmm. and i can honestly say there are some parts and elements of the democratic party's agenda that is not biblical Fact. and there's definitely parts of the republican element of things that aren't biblical as well facts so what do you do with that mm-hmm. where do you fall in line with that what do you i guess it comes down to what do you see as more egregious and what represents more where you feel but yeah it's there is some Ben Watson and Tony Dungy just wrote something in the Wall Street Journal the other day about the need to heal mm-hmm. in our in our country and and the, and the key component of it is is just this perception because there were some people who really truly believed that Donald Trump was God's president. <laughs> I'm like right. the dude don't even know what Second Corinthians is. Right. Call it Corinthians, but I'm I'm saying that in jest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but that was again. Political expediency and self-serving. And granted, I'm a sinner just like him. Mm-hmm. I make mistakes and everything like that. But if anything you saw on full display, the self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. And, how that, and if anything we know about Christ, it was about sacrifice. Okay. It was about putting others above yourself. Mm-hmm. And what Donald Trump represented and what he did this past Wednesday was nothing of that. Nothing of that was Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Even though being there and doing that banner thing, Jesus didn't... Jesus, didn't even disrespect 
Caesar's coin. Mm. So what makes you think that he would go into a place like that and participate in that? Right. Right. But and I saw a bunch of those flags. I'm like, how's this got to do? Don't. But I get it. Again, it's oh, a great to Satan was working. <laughs> oh, oh, Satan punched his clock the other day. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he punched the clock. It was, and, and you know what? To be objective, and and I don't want to be just, and I know I'll have a um, mainly rel- religious party that's going to follow this podcast. But Satan was a genius the other day. Yeah, and that's yeah. being completely yeah. objective. Right. You saw the hypocrisy of America, but what you really saw was how smart Satan really right. is. Right. Exactly. And so what does that do? So in the process of that, and it's what we call world system, you have a situation where now Russia and China, what are they doing? Look at the hypocrisy of America. Iran, mm. the hypocrisy of America. But here's all timer though. Did you know that in China and in Iran, the church, Christian faith is growing there like it's never grown before? Hmm. And think about the level of persecution that they, right. they, they literally fear death. Mm-hmm. For their faith. Oh, we don't yeah. have persecution. <laughs> oh, we don't have persecution, but we're we're gonna. I think we're getting there. We're getting there. It's the paradigm's gonna flip at some point. But and I think that's what a lot of evangelicals argue is that that's why we're fighting for what we fight. That's why we aligned ourselves with Trump because he lets us hold our values and our rights. Mm-hmm. And and so I get that argument too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know what? I'm still. I'm still registered as a Democrat, but mm-hmm. like you, I just don't feel like going through the whole rigmarole. I I hold myself to a conservative viewpoint without being a Republican. I just consider myself a conservative Democrat. <laughs> and because I'm just so sick of the strongholds of the Democratic Party over the African-American community the last 40 years. It's just nauseating. And I also have a problem with this cancel culture that we're going through in America where if you don't agree with this thought, this viewpoint, this, this, and this, we'll shut down your business. We'll shut down your lifestyle. That's so unconstitutional. It's a joke. But yeah, the cancel culture of America is absolutely nauseating because we have absolutely lost freedom of mind. Now it's not even just a constitutional issue. It's, it's if you don't believe in gay marriage, if you don't believe in transgenderism, then we'll shut down your entire organization. But we're losing the whole sense of what democracy truly is. To be able to speak and come from left field and not be completely shut down, to still be able to feed your family, have a career, you name it. Um, it's just becoming a nauseating time in America. What say you? Yeah, and you're right, but but here's the thing though. I I think ultimately Christianity is gonna be pegged as hate speech and hate language. It's getting there. Yes, and so that's where we're headed. And so you talk about this idea of persecution, it's not here yet, but a form of Christianity where you're really a literal Bible follower and believer will more than likely down the road put you in a position where you're you're canceled you're in jail you're you don't you don't you can't do certain things so it's going to be a different form i think of persecution but similar to what they're facing in iran what they're facing in china mm-hmm. but it's going to be a form here and and the thing about it that's 
really interesting, so to speak, is that these things of that Jesus flag being waved at the Capitol, evangelicals roles and role with Donald Trump plays a part in that mm. perspective of of it. And that's like you said, the devil was a genius. I mean, and how he's setting this all up because he's definitely playing chess. But the thing is, LaCroix, all this is that go back to what I was reading. Revelations mm. as an eight year old. All this has been said and, mm. and known about. And and grand, but that's where we get caught up in what trying to American dream of and what's the American dream? Is it really to have materialism and to have I know that's an element of it, mm -hmm. ability to pursue happiness? Mm -hmm. And what does that entail? Now I need to get to a place where that means I can I can practice my faith under any circumstance. What did Paul say? I can be I'm good in situations when I have plenty. I'm good in situations where I have nothing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not there. But if I'm going to be able to survive the next 20, 30, 40 years, God willing, of where the culture in the, is headed, I'm going to have to be able to operate with that mindset. And that's going to require me to yield to the spirit. Really, it is. Because if I don't, this being on the fence and this lukewarmness is not going to work. You have to pick a side. Yeah. You really are. You know, the, the events of the other day, it's, it, uh, it makes what even some may call the theory of Jesus a horse pill to swallow um, mm -hmm. because you see Jesus aligned with not only hypocrisy, but anger and borderline hatred. And it, I, I, I'm going to stop short of complete hatred. I'll just say borderline hatred. Mm -hmm. And it, there's not all times where we can present the gospel in a manner where it doesn't hurt people's feelings. Because even the Bible say, hey, the word is going to cut down to the bone marrow. Right. And it's going to divide families. It will. There's no getting mm -hmm. around it. Right. But at the same token, the Bible is told, I mean, the gospel is said to be given in love, in truth. Right. But I'm presenting mm -hmm. it in a loving manner. Now, you can take it or leave it. I can't force it down your throat. But here's the truth. I'm not going to present it in an angry fashion. Mm -hmm. And I think where other um, groups are becoming more empowered is because there is a, a more sh sense of unity and love presented behind it. Even if exactly. technically by even if technically by biblical standards it's wrong. Right, you're exactly right. What it, you're saying, and, I'm feeling what you're and, saying. And, and I, They're more inclusive, more accepting, more loving, and more inviting. While Christians seen Christianity, I'm sorry for cutting you off, dog. No, 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 you, go ahead, go ahead. It's seen as exclusive, mm. not inclusive, um, dogmatic, and very mean mm. and. While what you're describing is seen as, look at these people. They seem happy. They seem vibrant. They seem loving. They seem caring. They're sacrificing. Mm -hmm. While we come across as hoarding and very judgmental and just the exact opposite. And isn't that something? While at the same time, though, but here's the thing, though. We, we become the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm -hmm. Really is what it is. Yeah.
in that we're holier than thou. We got everything going on. Look at me. I'm not a sinner mm-hmm. when we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's how I see it. Yeah. I mean, of course, aligning yourself with faith, there's things you can't participate in, things you shouldn't um, be doing per se. But that doesn't, mm-hmm. like you're saying, that doesn't mean you're automatically condemning somebody to hot, uh, fire and brimstone at the same time. Right. How do you, how do you have a revival in a society? Because that was one of the things that Ben and Coach Dungey were talking about. We need a revival. We do need a revival. At the same time, it can't be one where you're forcing people to believe something they don't want to believe. Mm-hmm. And Jesus never did that. He didn't right. force himself on no one. Mm-hmm. He, t- he told the apostles, you're going to go to some places, and guess what? You're going to have to kick the dust off your sandals. Yeah. you got to kick rocks. And keep walking. And keep walking. Right. And keep moving. Right. <laughs> he didn't say set up shop and just <laughs> go in. Yeah. <laughs> he said, right. hey, tell it to them. They take it or leave it, and they bounce. That's it. Right. Yeah. And, and move on. Got to keep moving. And... So nah, it's but that's the part where it's so. It's just it's it is twisted because like you said, if I go to an element that's so inclusive, so loving, I mean, like for example, go to an LGBTQ, I can't parade. It's love. I mean, in the sense of people with camaraderie and just mm-hmm. enjoying themselves, so to speak, and not from a standpoint of they're practicing. Their sexual orientation, it was just affected. It's just you can sense the mm-hmm. the camaraderie mm-hmm. when you're in that environment. Yeah. But you go to but you go to like a a church gathering, you might not get that. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the part that's sad. Think yeah. about it. Yeah. And then on and then on top of that, just like I said earlier, then you have the <laughs> Then you have the devices again of Satan where though we are supposed to be just the human race, unfortunately there is cultural and skin tone things that have crept in over the last, over the thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And when you, like you say, in this loving environment and there's different shades of people at these uh, parades and this, that, and the third, and then when you have just just stuff as simple as police violence stuff. And then you have mm-hmm. just the two cultures that just don't see eye to eye. And if just to be objective and on the outside looking in, if the different races can't come together, even if they don't necessarily agree, but now they're at each other's necks, why would I want anything to do with that? Right. I'm going to live life I mean, like I normally live. I'm going to make my money the way I want to make my money. I'm going to do God knows what, how I want to do. It. And this is where the self-serving mm-hmm. thing comes back into play. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. And why should I worry about these quote-unquote restrictions that are, go- that are going to come with these people that don't even agree with each other? Why can't we come together when we're, when we're allegedly praising and worshiping and following the same God. And it's because of what? It's because we put cultural norms into it. We've made it about, and I'm guilty of this to a degree. Okay, God, can you bless me with this opportunity? Can you bless me with that? And the blessings become more important than the God. 
And so if you're in a situation, if you happen to be, I have to imagine white in America, you've seen, you've lived in the richest society known in human history. No one's had as much wealth as what we've had. And so with that, I think comes this idea that, because that privilege is real. I think it is. I right. think it's real. Yeah. No, and yeah, and so with that, you could see that, I could see how you could mandate that as well. That's because God's blessing me. Yeah, and God does bless. But also a blessing can be a curse too. Absolutely. Oh, oh the devil it's gives blessings. Same time, if it's not used for the benefit of, of others. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be for the benefit of or the benefit of others. Yeah, if if Satan can quote unquote tell Jesus, "Hey, head up here, I can give you this, I can give you that," so it goes to show right. Satan can give you blessings as well. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Just depends exactly. on what you here, think the blessing you is. Yeah, right. Bow down before me, and I give you all this. I give you all this glory. But all you gotta do is bow down for me, which is crazy when you think about it, knowing that he's God's son. Mm. Well, I got, but still, he tried. I guess you can't fault him for trying. So I think. <laughs> I mean, I know this from being an athlete. Your body doesn't want discomfort. Your body wants to maintain what I always say, homo status, in that it doesn't want to overexert itself or underexert itself. It just wants to be just right there. And if you're American, and even for us, I mean, if you go outside, I've had the privilege of going to other third world countries. And our poor people, what we consider poor, what I grew up as poor, is well off in a lot of places. So with that in mind, we've it has become about, and that's why a lot of countries are like, man, y'all soft. Because if you really hit hardship, you guys aren't gonna know what to do. Right. There is some truth to that, mm -hmm. and what saves our, you know, what is techno technological advancement? Because mm -hmm. if it gets to a point to where it's like, okay, are we really that soft? Now, don't get me wrong. There's people who are living in rural settings and urban settings. Who have to be hard, who have to be tough because they're not getting all this stuff. Mm -hmm. They're not living in luxury or a middle class existence. They're not. And they're still feeling the brunt of looking and seeing America, in some cases, aspiring to be that and want to get to that place of having the opportunities and privilege and all those things. And that's where it gets so twisted. And that is it a blessing from God or is it a deception of the devil? Mm -hmm. Which one is it? Yeah. And, you know, all the all the self-serving things and all the things that we want to do when the true freedom is in the Lord. Even with the, all the quote-unquote restrictions that you think are in place, he's doing it for your liberty. Right, right, exactly. Um, let's get ready to wrap it up. So, um, I know you have at least one child autism, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, speak to your work about um, with Autism Speaks. Well, really, it's just I work with several organizations that, that and really the, my daughter Naomi was diagnosed when she was three. And the interesting thing about autism and it's a it's extremely challenging one on marriages. And when I talk to people and counsel people who are just find out that their child was diagnosed, I tell them, guard your marriage. Mm. And because if you look at the numbers there's a like 80 and 90% of couples who have a child with autism. I believe it. That used to be the case, get divorced. And it's really? for, it's for multiple reasons. 
one just blaming each other for it and just the stress that comes along with it blaming each other wow I didn't. I wouldn't have thought that was the case. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's again the devil busy dog, <laughs> and and it can be a blessing though too, because the thing with it is you really it forces you to sacrifice. You really have to be sacrificial in that the child and their needs. At least with my daughter, because she has behavioral issues. Uh, it's just it's it's demanding. But the thing about it is, is that when you work with people who have autism, they're so real. And when they feel your love and they give love, it's it's legit. <laughs> it's can they be manipulating? Yeah, they can. They have sin nature as well. But the thing that you have an opportunity with it is is to expand your ability to love, expand your ability to be sacrificial, expand your ability to be selfless. And a lot of times, if you want to have kids just as a showpiece and not really understand what, the, what marriage of parenting is about or the sacrifice and putting them first, then it's going to be, it's going to, that's why marriages break down because a lot of times people get married for the sake of the ceremony mm. and the imagery it provides. Right. And not with the true idea of you go back and read you know, what we like to do, read 2 Corinthians 13 what love is yeah. it really forces you to live out what love is and so it's 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 a challenge but again when that child that has autism expresses love and has a moment where they're not having pain or hurt and you can't understand where they're coming from but but they show some sign of appreciation it lifts your world mm. it really does but there are a lot of people out there who we're dealing with and it's not easy man it is it is challenging to have it's also a challenge for the siblings as well because yeah, they don't get the attention that they probably should just do because you're putting so much focus on the child with autism and balancing that out so it just it really accelerates because i don't want to use the word exacerbate because i want to make it sound negative but it's not it's a challenge it really is i'd be lying to you if I said, oh, it's all easy, it's all hunky-dory. No, it's a challenge. Mm. Extremely difficult. That's, but that's, that's probably very understated. I, I, yeah, the siblings, yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. I mean, it's become... Now people aren't as shocked by it to see it because it's... Autism people, I mean, organizations like Autism Speaks have done a great job of informing people in our culture about it so when you see someone having the episode you probably don't react as like it used to be like 10 years ago my daughter have a meltdown i mean people were looking at me like i did something to her mm. and but but even then though i mean you can't let that be your you can't let that distract you or deter you from what you need to do mm-hmm. so nah man but no nah, it's been a challenge it's certainly been i'm blessed to have people in my life who help me love her and take care of her and he said it's just one of those deals where i realize to the day i die i mean she's not gonna be she's she has her moments of self-sufficiency and i'm fortunate there are agencies and there are certain things that she will probably be able to do on a professional level to give her a, a sense of independence because mm-hmm. things are getting better in that regard especially here in ohio but it's something where, like, said, like anything, when you have children, even though they move out of your house, it's still a lifelong commitment, yeah. even once they're grown, yeah. I feel. How old is she now? She's 14 now. Okay. 
So, um, I'm going to ask you this story. You're probably tired of this story, but I'm going to have a point to it. Tell the folks about the infamous Belichick bury the ball story. <laughs> okay. Bury the ball story. Well, we were one in three. We just lost the game. I'm not sure to who. I want to say the Miami Dolphins, but I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. But I was there when this took place. We have a team meeting, and there's a lot of rumors in the press that Bill's going to lose his job. And so this has got game week five or, or four of the NFL season. And so he has a team meeting. And he was very frank, candid, and humble in this meeting. He was like, look, we are not playing the level we need to play. We're all struggling here. Our record doesn't reflect it. And here's the thing. If we don't turn th things around, and this is a key part. If we don't turn things around, we're all going to be replaced around here because I'm primarily responsible for a majority of you being here. And if I go, chances are you're going to have to go too because that's how the NFL works. <laughs> right. So here's what we can do. You see this football right here? This is a reflection of the past. And what we're going to do is we're going to go to the practice field. There's a hole right there. We're going to put this football in the hole, and I want every man on this team to walk by and kick dirt on this on this football and bury it the last four games. We buried that football, and the next thing you know, the Patriots had a 20-year run of <laughs> being a highly <laughs> successful football franchise. So with that being said, I, nice nice footnotes version of it. What can we do, even in Ohio, America in general? What can we do to bury the ball for this divided nation? That's a great, that's a great question. It's, I think it really is doing unto others as you have them do unto you. Mm. I think it really is that simple, and being that respectful, being that understanding, and being that gracious, and being that kind. And Grant, not everyone's gonna fall. Let people prove you wrong before you judge them. Mm. And and even once that does take place, try your best to practice forgiveness, so it doesn't so the bitterness doesn't eat you up, and so it doesn't because the thing that I find interesting is like if you experience prejudice and if you experience racism, but if you practice a form of prejudice, knowing how that feels, that makes you just as wrong. Now I don't, I'm not gonna put all of it on you. But that's just one perspective. But at the same time, if you know a group has been historically mistreated, and I can tell you every, every ethnicity has had some issues in this country. Irish people were told not to come here. German people were told not to come here. Polish people were told not to come here. Italian people were told not to come here. Chinese people, Asians of different varieties were disrespected and told not to come here. The natives here. Blacks here mm -hmm. have gone through it. So on some levels, someone's gone through it. Now, some have gone through it worse and longer than others, mm -hmm. but have gone through it. Respect that and deal with that. But ultimately, it's going to come down to you as an individual, not living that out and not making it about you. Because ultimately, this is about resources and why people want to hold on to certain things, because they want control of those resources. And they want to make sure that they're the ones who can partake in them because of this, because of this belief in scarcity. Mm. 
is where it stems from. But you and I serve a guy who did what? He took what three loaves of bread and several fish and fed five thousand with it. So we can't take that perspective. We got to take this. Now he calls us to be good stewards and I need to be a better steward, but we can't take the perspective of scarcity. We've got to take perspective of giving and being a blessing. Cause that's what we're here to do is be a blessing and live out that calling. So I can't, all I can say is on an individual level, we got to do our part to heal men, reach out and go out of your comfort zone to talk to and deal with people who are perceptive who were receptive of the idea. I'm not going to just tell you, just walk up to anyone and be like, that's not safe. Right. <laughs> Nor is it smart. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> not to say that you live in fear, but I think, I get what you're saying. I mean, someone acknowledges you, acknowledge them back. Hey, how you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. And really starting there and have non-combative conversations right, right. with other people. So, I mean, that's a long-winded answer. But ultimately, I think it's just about cheating other people with dignity and respect and you start there. Yeah. And when they are operating in that place, you try not to go there. Yeah, I would. I would like for us to become a nation that, uh, once again, can agree to disagree and and still live a peaceful, um, unified life, if you will. Right, right. Go ahead. Okay, you don't agree with me. That doesn't mean it's the inner workers you don't agree with me. But I guess the problem is, is though, is that we got to a place that where everyone's saying, okay, this is right. I mean, it's going to be a major issue with this vaccine. That's going to be a big major issue. Do you force people to take it? Or do you let people choose on their own individual level? So that's where it gets difficult and complicated. What do you do with that? Because are you infringing upon my right by telling me to take something that I don't want to put in my body? But at the same time, if I, if I do, am I helping everyone else? Why do I wear a mask? Why don't I wear a mask? Mm. I mean, it's gotten to that level, man, of... I mean, I wear a mask because, like, it's not going to hurt me to wear a mask. But I could also see that people were like, well, you're being controlled. <laughs> so <laughs> I get that, too. I get it. Yeah. yeah. I do, but yeah. I'll just stop there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's it, man. I thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Um, for the audience, follow this interesting young man. He's still young. What about young, but thank you. He's still young. He's sharp. He done shed some weight. He out here trying to get sexy for the folks. No, that's what gets me in trouble. Look, turn the audio down. I saw her. Yeah, you saw her face. It's, 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 t t tell her it's just audio. I'm not recording the video, so she's okay. Follow this man at JR Cherry Three on IG Gerard L Cherry. Uh, you can listen to him daily on the Next Level on ESPN Cleveland uh, WKNR eight fifty, and also on the Cleveland Browns Radio Network when he's Summit. Uh, anything else you need to plug or want to let the people know? About? No, I'm good, man. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. All right, so you are free. Thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks, dog. <laughs> Have a good day, man. I will be in touch. <laughs> Alright, Joe, Joe, great conversation man. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by the Beer Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity Shop Doodlebugs at Doodlebugs by the Vita dot square dot site And for the Etsy lovers 
It's doodlebugs by DeVita.etsy.com. Use the promo code Liberation and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at Doodlebugs for you. That's Doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, Doodlebugs by DeVita.